So today we're going to start a brand new series. I'm excited to preach this series. It's going to be a six-week series into the book of Ephesians. And man, that's so cool. Tom just came up to me and said that his Bible study group is starting the book of Ephesians. What? Isn't that amazing? I mean, that... Wow. There was no talk about this. So that's the Holy Spirit, you know. That's amazing. Wow. So it's going to be a six-week series looking at the book of Ephesians. And again, a great way for us as a church, as, a, as one church, to dig into the scriptures together as a collective. Now, the book of Ephesians was a letter written to a group of people. It was written to a church. It was addressed to a group. And so, you know, my hope is that as we dig into the book of Ephesians, that, that God would speak to us, that God would show us what it means for people with different backgrounds, different gifts, different stories, who've been impacted by the same person, and that is Jesus. Uh, I believe that in the next six weeks, you know, for some of us, we could probably go through Ephesians, the entire six chapters, in one sitting. No problem. I would encourage you, read it six times then. Now others, you know, busy lives, I understand. Um, I just want to encourage us, take 15 minutes a week, maybe 20 minutes, to read one chapter a week. And I believe that God is going to speak to us as a church on what it means to be a church, not just in this building, but also what it means to be a part of the larger body of Christ in this region, in the Waterloo region, what it means for Trinity to be a part of that, and what it means for us to be a part of the body of Christ in this world. And so I want to encourage you uh, to read through the book of Ephesians together with me. And so with that said, let's look at the first chapter. I'm going to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3, I'm going to read 12 verses, and that's what we're going to look at today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. This is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for your word. Your word is true. It is true today. God, there is rich wisdom in your word for us today. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you have to say to your church in this hour, in this day. Father, there is so much that is said 
in the pages of this letter, help us to glean from what you're saying and be changed and transformed into your likeness as a church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that I love about being a pastor, I just, I love, is hearing different stories of how people came to know the Lord. I love it. I love hearing testimonies of how God took me out of this bondage and set me upon a rock. I love hearing how this was the way I used to live, but then I met Jesus and he changed my life. I love hearing these stories. They're awesome. Different stories from different people of the different paths that they took, all coming to the same place, to the same person that is Jesus. They say, I found Jesus. I met Jesus. I I love hearing these stories. They're awesome. When I was working at uh, the Ray of Hope, uh, the Oasis Drop-In Center, I met this young woman. It was many years ago. I met this young woman. At the time, she was around 16 years old. Um, She came in, and she used to be a part of the whole street culture in Kitchener. She hung out with all the gangbangers, the ones with the colored bandanas coming out of their pockets to show their gang colors. She had that going on. Uh, She was in that whole lifestyle, that street culture, drugs, violence. She was, name it, she was a part of it. And she came to the Ray of Hope Church that was meeting at the Oasis Drop-In Center there at the time. She came and she met Jesus. And she was totally transformed by Jesus Christ. It was just amazing, amazing story. And uh, Jesus just became everything to her. And she had a testimony to share. And she would share her testimony with different people. and, And you could just see the excitement in her face. Look what Jesus has done in my life. She was so excited. Well, there was one time where she was able to give her testimony at the church. Um, She got up in front of everyone to share her story, and you could just see the excitement within her. It's like there was this joy just deep inside her spirit, and it was just ready to explode. And, And then when it came time for her to share her story, it was like this. It was almost as if she took one breath and went, ready for this? This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. I used to be like this, but Jesus took me over here. And this is, and she just went on and on and on, almost like she just took one breath and then boom, sharing all the wonderful things that Jesus did in her life. It was awesome to hear this. For those of us who were listening, we were like, wow, look at all these different things that Jesus did in this young woman's life. And, And yet it was all a part of one larger story, the story of redemption. The story of what Jesus did. And it was so cool to see the excitement in her voice as she was telling her story without hardly taking a breath. Amazing. Amazing. When we read the book of Ephesians, this first part, this this chunk that we read, verse 3 to 14, those 12 verses, Paul is doing exactly that thing. Kind of like this 16-year-old who was like... And just going on and on and on about what Jesus has done. That's what Paul is doing in these 12 verses. He's going on and on and on. Now, that passage, those 12 verses, is the longest single sentence in the entire New Testament. Now, we look at it differently. Because in our English translations, there's periods, there's commas, there's stops and starts. and you know, So it looks like it's broken up into many different sentences. But in the Greek, Paul's just like, 
One thing after another, no stop. It's the longest run-on sentence in the New Testament. Because Paul was excited. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was excited about what it meant to be in Christ Jesus for a church. What it meant. One thing after another. And so when we read this, we're like, whoa, Paul. It's like one thing's coming out of here and coming out of there. It's like something coming out of left field. Whoa, what's all this that Paul's saying? There's all this lavish language and it it feels like you're doing this it's because paul is so excited he's just one thing after another like a snowball going down a hill it gets gets bigger and bigger and bigger that's what's happening here in verses 3 to 12 but for us we need to break it up into chunks for us to kind of get why why was paul so excited what was he so excited about and so we're going to break it up into chunks and even when we break it up into chunks you're going to see how paul was bringing one thing after the other after the other and so let's look at the first chunk in verses 3 to 5. This is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, even in that passage right there, you're like, whoa, there's just like a lot of things going on there. Right? Even in those three verses. There is such a beautiful mystery about this, uh, in particular, this part of what Paul is writing. Paul says, first of all, that the church that we have been given, listen, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been given, the church has been given, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. There's no more left. Every spiritual blessing is available to us in the heavenly places for the church. You see, there are great blessings that we can achieve on our own. We can. There are things that we can achieve on our own. Humans have an amazing capability of achieving good, great things. People are amazing through technology. I mean, there's so much blessing that we can achieve. But there are some things that we can never achieve on our own. The spiritual blessings that Paul is talking about, they come from God. We cannot achieve those things. The spiritual blessing of experiencing the peace of God, we cannot, we can't achieve that on our own. The peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that sustains us in every storm that we face in this life. Listen, you cannot buy that. You cannot make that. It comes from God and it's available to us who are in Christ. Love, the love of God, the spiritual blessing of encountering the love of the Father. Listen, we were created to receive love. We're created. We're like sponges. We need love. The love that we need, the love that comes from God, the unconditional supernatural love, That cannot be achieved on our own. We cannot receive that apart from God. Therefore, listen, Christians are unique people. We're unique in this world. We have access to something the world does not have access to outside of Jesus Christ. We have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That makes us unique, set apart. That's what the word holy means, set apart. We're different. There's something different about us. And that is the way God wanted things to be. 
And Paul goes on, he says that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, without getting into the debate of whether or not this is talking about the doctrine of election or predestination, I just want to note the mystery of what Paul is saying. It is a mystery that God would choose us in him before the foundations of the world. The Bible says it. It is a mystery. And let me tell you something. It was certainly a mystery for Paul. Paul was chosen. He didn't choose God. He didn't choose to follow Jesus. He was plucked out on the road to Damascus. There's a, there certainly is a mystery to this. Paul was chosen. In fact, Paul says that. He says in his letters, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, he was chosen. Israel was chosen as a nation that God would use them to bring about his plans and purposes in the world. God chose the nation of Israel. And God chose the church. Today, the church is God's chosen way to bring about his plans and purposes in the world. That's how God chose things to be. He chose us. He chose to bless us. He chose to make us different, to set us apart. He chose to make us in him, that is in Christ. Before he created anything, he had a plan to make us in Christ. Now in verse 5 it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now some people like to highlight the word predestined. It's an important word. I'm not discounting it. It's there. God wrote it. It's there. But I want to focus on two other words here that I believe that are equally as important, maybe more important. And they are the words love and adoption. God loves you. God loves us. He loves us the way a father loves a child. You see, in in those days, during the Roman days, sorry, I'm just going to find where I am here. In those days, a father had all authority in the home. That's how it was. A father had the authority over his wife, over his kids, over his home. There were Roman laws in place to keep it that way. Father was boss. That's just the way it was in Roman times. Now, children had certain rights and privileges as well. Now, suppose a father decides that he wants to adopt a child. There are many reasons as to why this could take place. Perhaps a family is in need of some sort. They're in debt or something like that. Well, a father could choose to sell his kids. That was a a, a normal practice in those days. He could do that. Now, suppose a father of a home wants to adopt a child. That adopted child, according to Roman law, would receive the same legal benefits as a biological child. In a time where slavery was legal and normal, That was a big deal for an adopted child. He would not be a slave. That child would be a son, would be a daughter. The adopted child would enjoy the same privileges as the father's natural children. You and I 
are adopted sons and daughters of God. We got to let that sink into our spirits a little bit. You and I are adopted sons and daughters of God. God loved us so much. He loves us so much that he pre-planned a way for us to become adopted sons and daughters through his only begotten son. The way he sees you, the way he sees me, is the way he sees Jesus, his only begotten son. And listen, that is a big deal, a big deal about who you are, about who I am in Christ Jesus. He sees you and I the same way he sees Jesus. How incredible is that? That is unbelievable. That is great news. Now in verse 6, it goes on to say this, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. It is through the richness of God's grace that we are here as redeemed people. The word redemption in Greek means deliverance by payment of a price. That's what that word means. Deliverance by payment of a price. There was a price that was paid for each and every one of us here today. God paid a price for us. Now this word was specifically used in the ransoming of slaves. And Paul uses this word, redemption. That means payment. He uses that word along with the word forgiveness. You and I have been purchased. We've been purchased. We have been forgiven by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate communion, to remember the price that was paid for each and every one of us. God paid a great great price, the blood of his only begotten son. It is the blood of Christ that forgives the debt of sin. The debt, listen, the debt is paid in full, paid off totally. We are a purchased people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven through the blood of Jesus. And so redemption, adoption, forgiveness, they all go together, hand in hand. You can almost see how Paul's getting so excited. Look at all these things happening, right? It's like a snowball. Wow. These are all things that we receive. These are benefits that you and I receive and can enjoy right now as God's sons and daughters. He goes on to say this in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a plan. Isn't it amazing to know that there is someone who has a plan? Especially during situations of unclarity, uncertainty, chaos, and confusion, it's always good to know that there is a plan. How many of you were here when the fire alarm went off at church? A year ago? How long ago was that? Two years ago? Okay. How many of you were here for that? I mean, remember that? That alarm, man, it is so loud. The bells that, 
it's so loud, it's constant. It just makes the, your hair stand up. I mean, I think that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to jolt the, the fight or flight in you, right? But it went off and we were like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And I could just imagine the, the kids downstairs. What's going on? The nursery, the helpers, the volunteers. What do we do? And there was this almost confusion that set in. What's going on? What do we do? Until the person who knew what to do came forward. They had the plan. It was the fire exit plan. This is the plan. All right, everybody. This is what's happening. This is where we're going. That's the destination, which is on the other side of the parking lot, from what I remember, just so, just so you know, in case something like that does happen. There's not going to be a fire alarm today, I, don't, I hope. Anyway, but anyway, they knew the destination. They knew where to go. They had the plan. It is so good to know that someone has a plan. God has a plan. It is a magnificent plan. We can look at the world around us and it's crumbling. I mean, there is chaos and confusion in the world around us and it seems to be getting worse. But there is good news, church. There is very good news. God has a plan and his plan is to unite all things in Christ Jesus in heaven and on earth. One day, God is going to restore everything that is broken. He's going to restore it. That is God's plan. He's going to do that. It's coming. And the beauty of this plan that God has to restore all things, the beauty of this plan is this, that we can get a glimpse of that right here, right now. That we can experience that plan now. Paul goes on in verse 12 and he says this, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. Can you see how Paul was getting excited and excited about all these wonderful things that what it means to be the church, what it means to be in Christ? Can you just hear the excitement? And he comes in this part of the passage at near the end of his run-on sentence. He's just coming to a climax of what he's saying. Those who are in Christ have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. You know what the inheritance is? The restoration of all things. That day when everything that is broken is restored. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. The former things will be done with. I love what he says. He says, The word that I want to highlight here is the word guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. See, in the Greek word, this word can be translated as down payment. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. A down payment. Suppose you want to buy a house. It's quite the market for the real estate market today, these days. A house goes up for sale and sold within a week sometimes. 
It's amazing in our neighborhood how quickly things go. Right? It's on people's minds today. Suppose you want to buy a house. Beautiful house. You know, nice bedrooms. The layout's nice. You dream. You're like, oh, I could do so many things in this house. And it's, it's within your price range. You, you, you want to buy this house. Okay? And so you go to the bank. You talk to them. And they say to you, okay, well, you've got to pay a down payment. It's got to be a certain percentage of the purchase price that you have to pay now, whether it's you know, 5 to whatever, however many percent it is. You, you pay a down payment, and then you pay that amount. There's other legal stuff that you have to sign. You've got to sign your life away. There's a book like this big. <laughs> you sign so many things, right? And then after that, you can move in. You can move into your house. You can call it. My house. This is our house. You can paint. You can gut the bathroom. You can do all sorts of stuff. Why? Because it's your house. It's your house. But until the rest of the mortgage is paid off, at the same time, it isn't fully your house. It is your house, and it is not yet your house at the same time. What Paul is saying here in this part of his excited, run-on sentence is that, listen, God is doing something awesome. God is doing something amazing. He is restoring all things. One day, all this mess is going to be gone no more. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4 says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This day is coming. Nothing's going to stop it. No power of hell, no enemy is going to stop this from happening. This day is coming. It's coming. God is going to restore all things. He's going to do it. But guess what? It's not only in the future. We get a glimpse of that now through the down payment of the Holy Spirit that's with us right now. The Holy Spirit inside us is the down payment of the things to come. And so because we have the Holy Spirit, because we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, we can experience freedom from sin now. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we can experience healing from life's wounds now. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we can experience the miraculous right here, right now. There are so many healing testimonies that I've heard over the years here at Trinity. God doing phenomenal, phenomenal healing, phenomenal things. Because of the Holy Spirit in, the, in our midst, we can experience the restoration of broken things, broken relationships. We can experience the restoration of those things. Now, we can. And if we are not experiencing it now, we will experience it in the future when Christ returns. It's not a matter of if, it's when. When. So our redemption, the hope for restoration, healing, 
we can experience all those wonderful things, whether it's on this side of eternity or the other. It's coming. Redemption draws near. And so with all that Paul is saying in this passage, with all that Paul is going on and on about, we can see why he's so excited. Why he wrote the longest sentence in the New Testament. As if he was speaking a mile a minute. On and on and on. There's so much we can have in Christ right here, right now. There's so much of what it means to be church. So what does that mean to be a church? What does that mean to be a gathering of God's people right here, right now? What does it mean to be Trinity Evangelical Missionary Church? What does that mean? This is what that means. The church, the place in which we come and gather together, is a place where people can have full access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. When people come together, when we come together like this, and we worship God, we experience freedom. A freedom the world does not know. We experience that true, lasting peace, even though we might be facing a storm in our lives when we come together, together with God's people. Isn't that true? We could be facing a devastating situation in our lives, and yet when we come together with God's people, as we pray for each other, as we minister to one another, where does that peace come from? It comes from God. We have access to something the world does not even know yet. It's a spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have access to it. Love. The church is a place where we come to get filled up on love. I remember the first time I came to Trinity Church. Oh, man. Love hit us right at the door. We came in to see, oh, let's just see what this church is all about. Right away. Eddie, it was Eddie that came up to me, gave us a hug and said, can we take your kids? <gasps> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Really? Wow. Love. Supernatural. Unconditional. Love. I hear that again and again from people who come. I just experience God's love here. That's the presence of God here in this place. Churches are places where people can come and fill up on our love tanks. We all have one. We all have a love tank. We all need love. So picture the church as a gas station, but we're pumping love. Okay? That's what's happening. We're a gas station of love. Unconditional, unconditional, supernatural love. We have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The world needs it. And they're going to get it through us, through the church. We are adopted sons and daughters who have the same access to the Father as Jesus did. You see, we were all at one point in our lives, at one point in our lives, we were orphans who needed a heavenly Father. Christ made a way for us to become adopted children of God. We now have the same privileges. Get this. This is a mind-boggling truth. 
We have the same privileges that Jesus had. Communion with God. Open access to the throne of grace. We have that because we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. That is a revelation the church deeply, deeply needs. The revelation of what it means to no longer be a slave, to no longer be called a servant, but to be called a son, a daughter of God. Of course we serve God, but our place of serving is from that place of sonship, daughtership. That's who we are. We can communicate with the Father through prayer, through listening prayer. We have access to the throne of grace. That's who we are. As a church, that's who we are. We are a part of a plan that is unfolding. The plan of redemption and restoration. Trinity Church is the visible manifestation of God's plan of restoration. We are a gathering of restored people, redeemed people, forgiven people, set free people. That's who we are. That's who we are. Now, we may not all be there yet, but that's because we haven't arrived at eternity's shores yet. It's like the song that we were singing, when we arrive at eternity's shores. But we do have the guarantee of that day available here and now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The church is the place where the Holy Spirit is moving and releasing kingdom manifestations, kingdom reality, kingdom insight. The church is the place where the Holy Spirit is releasing kingdom glory. Every time we come together and meet and worship the King, the kingdom of God advances in this place. We are the visible manifestation of God's plan of restoration. That makes the church a big deal. We are not irrelevant. Society might say that, that the church is irrelevant today. That's not true. No way. And I'm not talking about becoming relevant by adopting worldliness. No, there is an aspect of being in the world. We need to get dirty sometimes. We need to get into the lives of those who don't know Jesus yet. Paul said it, I became like one of them so that I might win some. Hey, there is an aspect of that. But listen, I'm not talking about relevance. I'm talking about this. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about light in the darkness. We are light in darkness. The world is a dark place. People are in darkness. Who, what did Jesus say about who we are? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We're like a city on a hill, shining the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We shine the light of God in darkness. Therefore, we are extremely relevant. We are God's chosen ones to bring about His plans and His purposes on the earth. Light. We're a lighthouse. Trinity is a lighthouse. The light of the world. And that is a great place for the church to say, Amen.
Amen. That's who we are. You can just see the excitement in Paul. I'm excited too. Because you know the church needs this revelation. Because the world needs Jesus. They're looking for him. Oh, they're looking for peace. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for it all. They're not going to find it. But when we show them who Jesus is, they'll find it. That's who we are. We're not just a weekly, once a week gathering. We are the light of the world. Shining God's light into this world so that those who are far from God can come to the light. Come close to God. That's why we exist. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you are up to something very good. And we are so excited for what you are going to unfold in the coming days. We are contending, appealing to heaven for an outpouring of your spirit upon your churches that we would have this revelation that Paul was writing about in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, about who we are in Christ, what the church is to be. God, we need a revelation from you that this would sink into our very DNA of what it means to be a church in these last days. God, we love you. We thank you that we get to be a part of your unfolding plan of restoring all that is broken. Start with us. Start with me. Let revival happen in me. Renew us. Restore us. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. We long for you. We desire you. And we thank you that you are a God with a plan. And all God's people said, Amen.